Hi, my name is Chris Graber, and I'm an associate in research in the University of South Florida's College of Behavioral and Community Sciences School of Social Work. Welcome to the Remarkable Podcast. Welcome back. I'm so excited to be sharing this remarkable with you guys today. This is Tanya Gilchrist Johnson. And when she walks into a room, if you've ever met her, uh, she lights it up. And she, she's she got such a tremendous passion about the work and the field. And she, like so many of you, was a student, came right through our program and she now teaches in the program. She's a highly sought after faculty member because people actually, she's a practitioner. So people actually really get like state-of-the-art information from this woman. And so I, I'm excited for you all to meet her today. Welcome, Tanya. It's great to have you on our Remarkable podcast. It is great to be here on your Remarkable podcast. Thanks for inviting me. And I'm excited and I hope I do justice to that introduction. I don't well, you do every and now every time I see you, it's the same. And that's such it's, you know, one of the things I think when you get to a certain place in your career, you appreciate is the sameness and the consistency of colleagues. And it's a beautiful thing with that predictability that you can I can always count on you for a positive word or a smile. So that I mean, take it or leave it. That It's the truth. So <laughs> tell us how you got to be where you are right now, because it's been quite an accomplishment in the past 10 years. Yes, and literally it has been 10 years. I'm in the class of 2012, University of South Florida School of Social Work, an amazing cohort. I had amazing instructors, very motivating for sure. I love the program, I love the content, and I had a really like life-altering field placement in that I got to work alongside of child welfare but my agency wasn't child welfare, Yeah. but we provided so much support. I was able to be on an advisory committee for a very large case management organization and got to sit with DCF and their representatives on different children issues and even different clients. And so that kind of whetted my passion. I was always passionate about children's mental health. And you and I were speaking earlier, that placement, along with having the child maltreatment course, which I know you're revamping, and so that's exciting, that gave me my passion for children's trauma and being able to work on those very difficult topics and situations. So yes, I'm in the class. I've graduated as an MSW 2012. I'd already been a graduate student a couple of times. I already had a dual degree, uh, master's degree when I entered the program. So it was long and hard consideration to come back yeah, to grad school yeah, again yeah. a decade <laughs> later Yeah, since my previous um, master's degrees. And so when I entered the program, I was approached by the College of Public Health to say, hey, how would you like to do our dual degree program? And I was like, no, who needs four master's degrees? That's like really <laughs> ridiculous. 
And I'm actually supposed to be working on my PhD right now, but they sold the the MPH program so well. And I kind of thought it was like Target where you buy one, get one. And I said, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm in. Not and that so easy. I did. Yeah, it wasn't quite that easy at all, but it was an amazing pairing. And so as I was in the MSW program, I was also an MPH student as well and still was able to keep some tinges of sanity through it all. That's ama- it was it, it's amazing. Crazy. You know, as an adult, I got my master's when I was an adult or an adult enough anyway, and I worked full time and I did that. And I've got such a passion for those students who pay the bills and they get their degrees at the same time because it really is. I talked to several of other the podcast participants about really being a st- risk management strategy or risk mitigation strategy, you know, and kind I of just... supervise interns for licensure and they look yeah. at my schedule and they just shake their head. Like I literally had to account for every half hour. Right. Like it really, for someone who's very ADHD, it made me so responsible for my time management, right. like ridiculously. So because I didn't, there was no room to wiggle. Let me ask you, that's an interesting, that's an interesting rabbit hole. We'll go down for a hot second because, so you're talking about for you, you've really had to focus on that time management piece as a, really as a strategy for your self-care so you can keep your time. So I will be very transparent. I sucked at my self-care. <laughs> Most of I, I was horrible and I caution my students all the time and my interns all the time you should practice as you're going to in outfield practice right Right. so my self-care was hugely neglected and I feel like I'm spending the rest of my life trying to right size that so do that first and foremost it was time management because I was I did have the luxury where I didn't had to work but I was doing two graduate degrees and a 32-hour internship at the same time. And the agency I was in is a very small agency, an amazing agency. And we just didn't like clock out, you know, at five o'clock. If I I was on call, my clients need me at eight o'clock. There's a lot of trauma here. And I was doing that and, you know, working on two different degrees in two different colleges that were, you know, pretty demanding. So I had to account for every minute in my day. So when you're looking at it now, Tanya, I mean, because you you made a point and, you know, a lot of our students, a lot of our master's students want to hang out a shingle and become their own therapist. And so how do you control your time now? You're an entrepreneur. You're, you, you know, you are the principal in your business. Tell me how you keep control of that. So I still struggle, but I know I need to disconnect and unplug. And so I, I really do. I'm a very good gatekeeper for okay. my downtime. I don't have enough of it for sure, but what I have, I protect it fiercely. And so I literally disconnect. I travel. I go away. I jump into, you know, my family, my friends and such. Unless my client is on fire and every fire station in the area has shut down, I'm not 
going to be responsive in that way. I'm not their emergency crisis management on-call person, and I take it very seriously to direct them to that yep. resource because when I'm unplugged, I'm really unplugged. That's so good to be able to draw that boundary, and I think it's something you're right. By and large, most of us are pretty terrible at because I think we are under this false assumption that we actually have a lot more control in people's lives than we really do. And I think they make us feel that way and that's empowering. But I think I was reading an article the other day and it was talking about how that kind of codependence is really a form of selfishness. It really isn't sacrificial. No, it's self-serving, right? It's self-serving. And I thought about that and I thought, wow, so what a thing to unpack, you know, when you're really thinking about self-care. It is. And even to train myself to lose, use different language, because I didn't even know what a social worker was before I entered the program, right? Didn't have any idea. And I was mentored and molded in shape by, you know, some really fabulous clinicians and case managers, like amazing, world-class. And so I adopted the language of my client. My client, my client, my client, my family, my child. I I really even try not to say my kiddo because I seem, seems like we always say my kiddo if the child is in the system of care. Right, right. And I don't call my children kiddos, right? So, so trying to just change my language and how I don't own this client. I don't own their outcome. I don't own this family. And just training myself because I really did. I was so emotionally invested. If my client had a bad day. I was also having yep. a bad day. Yep. If that's not enmeshment, I don't know what it is. I think, I, I just don't know that we talk about that enough because that stuff happens, but then how do you back out of it? And you said earlier, and I think this is so true, you want to start out the way you want to finish. Definitely. That language, I teach my interns where I see them, you know, kind of using their countertransference. And they're kind of like wrapping it around the process and the client and the session. And we unpack that. And when you do that, when I encroach into my client space, even with the best intentions, I'm so well intended, I promise. That's going to be my ticket to heaven, I think. That's going <laughs> to be my, my byline. I was so well intended. But even if I'm well intended, when I encroach, I leave less space for my client to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't grow for them. We talked about students and wanting, I can't want your grade enough for you. I can't want you to learn this content, you know, enough for you. And I want it so badly, but I recognize if it's not in a point in your life where you can ingest it, actually I'm force feeding you and that's not helpful for you. That's not helpful for, I I tell my students all the time, you're going to be my future clients. I love teaching. I love supervising. I love this aspect, but it's very selfish because you're going to be my colleagues and I'm going to be referring to you and I'm going to be calling you when I'm in a space where I don't understand where this client is coming from or how I should move forward in this. You're going to be the professionals. And I want to make sure I'm doing you credible service. Right. And if I'm 
dragging you through the class, that's not very helpful. Don't you think that really ups the game, though, when you look at that room full of students as future colleagues? I mean, for me, there's a that puts it. a sense it puts a sense of urgency on my heart that I just think, okay, so I got to get this right. And I tell students all the time, I don't know what your experience is, Tanya, but I find families and children to be more complex now than than I've ever seen them. I mean, yes, we have new ever. classes. And it's crazy. It's crazy to me. And so they've got to be better, faster, smarter, stronger than we were when we were coming up. And I guess I sometimes That's I don't. We were than I am today. I yeah, need you to be right. Better, faster, stronger than I am today. Right. Because this evolution of the dynamics that are impacting our youth and the families, oh my word, it's so, it's game changing. It's overwhelming. I, yeah, I agree. Well, the other thing that I want to go back to, she said, you know, you've done this for about 10 years and I'm fascinated by childhood trauma. It's something that keeps me thinking all the time. Man, have we made some strides in 10 years? I mean, yes, we have. Yes, we have. And I did, I was always interested in children's mental health, right? My first love was psychology. And I didn't even know, like, child trauma right. was right. I didn't have that. It was reserved for veterans, um, you know? I mean, yes, right? And I kind of had front seat to someone else's childhood trauma. And a very young boy that was actually perpetrating on other children. Okay. And I had no idea that this could happen. And right. I had young children and I didn't understand that, you know, I taught my children, you know, stranger danger. And right. they knew. I didn't know that children could perpetrate on other children yep. Yep. and why they would do that. And, and so that dumped me into child trauma. And I remember the little boy. And I just wanted to be somebody that made a difference. I wasn't riding on a course where there would be no more of this happening. Right. But I did want to make it at least one less. Yeah, because, that's right. You know, it is a hard field to serve, for sure. But just being able to give one child an ability to find some sense of, I'm okay, or I get to be or okay. I'm going to be okay. To be okay. After something so tragic has happened to them. Well, I want to just put a pin in that there because I think one of the things that's really important about what you just said is in and of itself, that's a self-care tactic because I'm redefining success. It's not a global success. It's a success with this one individual child where I think I can make an impact because they're in the right space and place. Certainly, certainly. And it evolved from there. Because again, I wanted to work with youth. I wanted to work with young people. I'm a veteran, I love my service. And I didn't want to work with that population. Although when I came into the program, that's where I was directed. Oh, you've got a position at the VA, you can do your internship there. And you know, and it was like, yeah, I'm so glad that there are people looking to help veterans because we are definitely need in need. Yes. Yep. But I just left my service retired from a lot of years and a lot of conflict and i just thought you know what i really was thinking because when i encountered childhood trauma someone else's it was a military family 
And I knew how much these conflicts were tearing down the military family and how the children were being impacted. So I was like, rather than serve in the VA from that aspect, I'd much rather be in a position to help their families and the family dynamics, right? So that was my thought. It didn't work out exactly that way. And then I had an amazing clinical supervisor and I expressed to her that as I was working with children and their parents were telling me stuff that I didn't want to have information about their romantic relationships and who's not sleeping with who. And I'm your child's clinician. That's all I wanted to be. And my clinical supervisor, very, very amazing woman, told me, you cannot heal a child in a home that's not healthy. Because I was like, you know, I got very uncomfortable with the parents telling me what's going on in their bedroom. And right. I'm not their marriage therapist. That's what right, I told her. Right. I'm not their marriage therapist. They need to go find someone else to do that. And she told me, you will be for this family, whatever helps that child. And so if the parents are not doing well, your child is not going to do well. And that made me more open to working with families and the importance of working with families. Because I was really ready when I graduated, I thought, how about I just work with children and, you know, toss all the adults away, send them Peter Pan. It's not possible. I mean. It's you not know, and, and not people possible. take the child maltreatment class, and it's probably misnamed because it's really about family maltreatment. It but is. people say, "Well, I want to work with kids," and I'm like, "Well, that's great, but you're going to work a lot with their parents. That's the way you work with so kids. much more. Yeah, so much more. If I and I learned this when I was working prior to coming into this program, and I would do like amazing work with a child, but you know, a year or two later, they would come back. I didn't work with the parents. I didn't give the parents the strategies. The tools, right. I didn't give them any way to support what we were practicing in the session. They had no reinforcement and it was failing. So looking back, Tanya, this is one of those on the spot, stump the guest questions. I'm sorry, but I'm fascinated to hear your answer to this. If you had to pick a couple of like your best learnings over the past 10 years, like things that, you know, you're like, it was worth it to learn that, what would those things be? I think I learned this in course, but in practice to see, don't ever make the presumption, you know, the client better than they know themselves, that you know, their client system better than they know themselves. And I think we often come in, you know, I took a lot of courses, training, credentials to become a quasi expert at any rate in this field, in my passion, but it's presumptuous to think I know the families better than they know themselves. And I've had instances where a client would share something with me and To say I was blown back is an (laughs) understatement. Like, I never saw it coming because I've kind of labeled them. I boxed them and, you know, this is what they do and this is their behavior and this. And don't ever think you know everything about your client. Don't ever think you know more about them than they do themselves. We come with the resources. We come with the strategies. But the clients you know, barring severe mental illness, they know themselves. Well, don't you think the more I do these podcasts and the more that I'm out there, 
I think we don't do a good enough job at listening to people's stories. I think we miss things because we're not listening to hear. What What are your thoughts on on Certainly. on that lived experience? Certainly, and um, I reinforce that to my interns that it's okay to sit and listen. Just listen. We're, and I get it. You're fresh and new, and you want to prove that you have all this knowledge. Check those boxes your clients, off. Yes, your client is sitting with you because they see you as the professional. You yeah. have nothing to prove, and you have so much to gain by listening, hearing their stories, validating them. And validating doesn't mean giving them the thumbs up. That's great behavior you got there, right. sir, ma'am. Doesn't mean that at all. I heard what you said. I yeah. heard how hard this is for you. Or, oh, wow. Oh, my. You know, just basic any or response yeah. any of us would have. And I see, you know, and I probably did the same. I'm so ready to jump in with a response, an answer, yeah. a treatment. And by far, one of the coolest things I, I share when I was doing the dual degree. So I probably did semester at least one semester in the MSW program and then started doing both side by side. And in the MPH program, when I was talking about being client centered and empowering the client and listening and allowing the client to have input to their treatment in public health, I sounded like brilliant. <laughs> and it, this is what we do all the time. And so I was like, oh, wow, you're a cutting edge. And no, this is what we do all the time. And it's so important. And it's really, I think it's really great to see. So I also provide clinical supervision to those that are in the psychology program as well. And to see that discipline adopt a new paradigm that yeah, is yeah. client-centered and client-empowering and strength-focused. Yes, because that's not the way I was taught it. It's you pathologized, patho name it, pathology, and, and treat pathology it. and treatment. Yeah, yeah. Pathology, pathology, and treatment. And right. to see that evolve is so amazing. And I'm, I'm excited about mental health across the board. Well, it's so good to talk to a clinician that in you know, 2022, 23 is still excited about mental health. What makes you excited? You know, when you look at this, you think about this upcoming year, what makes you excited about the field of social work? I'm excited because I feel that in this field, we get to, and not always even see it to fruition, but we get to be part of that touch that allows somebody to move through their journey. And often, because the focus of my work is trauma. So I also do trauma work for first responders right, now. Right. I do a lot of trauma training for the state. So trauma is probably my umbrella. I do other things for sure. But to even be able to touch somebody in a very dark space in their journey, and know that your touch may not be the one that, you know, allows them to, oh, come out in the light and everybody's right. singing about rainbows and unicorns, but your touch on top of somebody else's touch and 
maybe gets them to the next set of touches could really make a difference, not for this client and their current client system, but we know how mental health impacts generations. Yes, absolutely. Generations. Yes. And I think that is so mind blowing. Like if I make a contribution to this person being in a healthy space, then their children get to be more healthier. Yeah, and, they their benefit, children's yeah. children. and, you know, and I'm very okay with blowing up my own narrative in my head. And 500 years later, they're going to be talking about, you know, when my great, 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 great grandfather was in mental health treatment, this turned our family around. And I'm going to think it's all about me. And I'm okay with that. Well, you know, the cool thing is, and I I think this, and maybe this is a function of age, I don't know, but it's such an honorable thing to plant seeds for trees that you'll never sit under, you know? I'm okay with that because I've already imagined how amazing it's going to be. It's not about me. And I'm okay with my story. Yeah, Yeah. it's not about, I love being a contributor. Like superhero music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I love, I love that. So looking, you know, we're talking to BS, potential BSWs, MSWs, and PhDs. What's your best future student advice? My best future student advice would be really, I think coming into the program, whatever your courses study, looking to learn more about yourself. I haven't right. entered a PhD program yet. That is on my to-do list. (laughs) I'm Um, sure, I'm sure. Yeah, because, just because I I love it. But I feel like in each stage of your instruction, especially in a field like mental health and, and social work specifically, you're going to learn something about yourself and just be open to that. I, I have a close friend that I graduated from this program who just recently earned her DSW. Wow. And it it made her peel back and learn things about herself that were life altering. And not well, it's easy. humbling. It's very humbling. I mean Oh, she said she has yeah. never been so humbled. Yeah. And to be able to successfully complete a very challenging program. Yeah. It just strips you down and just see, allows you to see what you're made of and to be able to accept what you're made of. And it's not all good stuff. Well, that's right. That's right. And you know what? Then fix it. You know, I mean, if, if you don't fix like your it. reputation, change it. Fix it. And what you feel like is beyond your capacity to fix, find a way to love yourself in spite of that. Right. Right. right, and so accept you along with those flaws. Accept that you know I'm I'm never going to be the smartest, most brilliant, amazing person in the world. Maybe the third best. Who knows? To accept that and right. to understand that as you doing this work, it is for a greater good. But there's also a good that you do to yourself, absolutely, and to the field. And I think that's amazing. So. As you go on your journey, whether you are entering a program or soon to graduate from a program or you're looking at your future graduation, what have you, just be open to learning, growing, evolving, because I feel like this is one of those fields, if you stay stagnant, complacent, 
you'll shrivel up. Well, and not only that, there's so much new knowledge every like minute. Like we talked about trauma. I mean, just discovery, 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 you know, the, the malleability and the synapses in your brain and how you can go around things. And so yes. time's of the essence, I think, with some of this stuff. So we got to learn. Certainly. And, and you do yourself a disservice if you're not open to all of that, that experience, that exposure. And I would also say I had the, I don't know, the good fortune, I think amazing fortune to be able to work on a textbook for the VA. And of course, my portion of the textbook is about military trauma and how to help veterans with trauma. And one of the things I wrote into my chapters was about professional self-care. And that self-care is part of your professional growth and development. It's not a luxury. It's not right, a, if right. you can. It's not an it's add-on. Not, yep. Yeah, it's not an add-on. It's not an accessory. For you to be competent to work with the demands of this field, you really do have to manage your self-care. You, you're cheating yourself. You're cheating your clients. You're cheating this the discipline if you don't do it so that'll preach yeah. uh, that's that would great be my advice. parting shot my parting shot definitely to do that with every as much as i wanted to learn everything and i wanted to train on everything and i i wanted to be all knowing about mental health i should have equally been working on how do i incorporate responsible accountable self-care right and I urge you to do that. And I think any of our students think it's just a phrase and you say self-care, but yeah, you want these right. 30 assignments due by Tuesday. Right. Yes, I want the 30 assignments due by Tuesday. I also want you to take professional self-care. That's not, you know, getting to the Caymans every week. How do you incorporate that? Right. And look for advice and guidance how to do that. Because yes, the 30 assignments still have to be done but not at your detriment and not compromising your competency. Well, and I think, you know, back to the trauma piece, you know, trauma is not an end. There's this great thing called post-traumatic growth now. Yes. And post-traumatic strength. Yes. Yes. And so, and, and so, you know, you can come out of this and I think people hearing that and hearing, go take a lap around the building, you know, go grab an ice cream, go grab a cup of coffee, whatever your thing is and build it into your schedule. Call it something really scientific. I don't care. So people don't know what you're out doing, but do it. And do it. And I even break it down to my students. Like I've had students tell me at the end of the semester, you know, just checking in, what are you going to do? And they put off doctor's appointments. One student told me every light on her dashboard was lit up. (laughs) <laughs> like everyone, like that's self-care, making sure right. your vehicle is okay, you know, making sure your tires have tread, you know, self-care is not always manis and petties and massages. Yeah, chocolate self-care cake, is right. going to your optometrist. Yeah. Self-care is taking care of that pain that, so yes, that you have to be intentional. And just as if I would schedule to be, uh, participant in a lecture, 
I have to make my doctor's appointment. I right. have to Absolutely. do these things. This is all part of your self-care and to be intentional about it. And definitely I understand we have to prioritize things, but for a student to be driving a car that's basically a death trap every day two or three times a week to and from the campus, that's, that's not self-care. Well, I love, thank you for that, because I think you normalized a lot of things that people don't normalize. So I want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you for your practice wisdom, but also your real human being wisdom that, you know, we're all works in progress. And so I knew this before, but now, like, now I know a little deeper about your motivations it just makes me proud to be your colleague, Tanya. So, you know, once again, I thank you. I am honored as well, Chris. Thank you for having me. And yeah, this has been great and fun. You want to so do it again tomorrow? Well, yeah, exactly. So reach out to Tanya, guys. She's out there. She'd love to chat more with you. So if you have more questions, you know, look her up and pin her down for a chat and you'll be a better person for doing that. Thanks again. And we'll talk again soon. Certainly. Thank you.